0: part three of the road past Kennesaw: the atlanta campaign of eighteen sixty four by richard manning mcmurray this librivox recording is in the public domain part three Kennesaw mountain by june ten sherman was ready to resume the advance the southerners had taken up a line north of marietta that ran from brush mountain on the east to pine mountain in the centre to lost mountain on the west McPherson moved against the right flank of this line, Thomas against the center, and Schofield against the left. Rain fell almost every day and hampered the northern advance. For several days there was heavy skirmishing in which the Federals captured Pine Mountain and made gains at other points. Bishop-General Polk was killed on Pine Mountain by a Union artillery shell on June 14, when he foolishly exposed himself to enemy fire." major general william w loring commanded polk's corps for several weeks until a permanent replacement lieutenant general alexander p stewart took command by the sixteenth schofield's advance had been so successful that the southerners were forced to give up lost mountain for several days johnston tried to hold a new line that ran west from brush mountain and then turned southward this line was enfiladed by the federal artillery however and during the night of june eighteen nineteen the confederates abandoned it and took up a new position extending along the crest of kennesaw mountain and off to the south hardy's corps held the left of this line loring was in the center and hood's was on the right when sherman encountered this strong position he extended his lines to the south to try to outflank johnston He moved most of MacPherson's army to the area directly in front of Kennesaw Mountain and placed Thomas's army in line on MacPherson's right with orders to extend to the right. In the days that followed, MacPherson and Thomas were engaged in what amounted to a siege of the southern position. Little progress could be made on the ground, but the artillery on both sides was used in attempts to batter and weaken the enemy day after day the big union guns pounded the southern line their fire being answered by confederate cannon high on Kennesaw mountain meanwhile sherman drew schofield's army in from the lost mountain area and ordered it to move south on the sandtown road which ran west of the federal position toward the chattahoochee after a long and muddy march schofield's men reached nose's creek at dark on june nineteen on the following day they crossed the swollen stream and drove the southerners away the bridge was rebuilt on the twenty first their advance was resumed that same day the right of thomas's army established contact with schofield near powder springs road johnston had seen the federal right being extended and was aware of the dangers it presented to his line of communications to meet this threat the confederate commander shifted hood's corps from the right of his line to the left during the night of june twenty one twenty two by early afternoon of the twenty second hood's men were in position on hardy's left early on the twenty second the right of the northern line resumed its advance the twentieth corps of thomas's army moved east on powder springs road supported by some of schofield's troops by mid-afternoon they reached the vicinity of valentine kolb's farm the rest of schofield's army continued down sandon road to the cheney farm where it occupied a position overlooking Olly's creek in the early part of the afternoon the federals captured several southerners from whom they learned that hood had moved to the confederate left From this, they concluded that an attack upon the Federal line was imminent. Quickly, the Northern commanders closed up their units and began to construct protecting works, using fence rails or whatever material was at hand. Skirmishers were thrown out, and they soon encountered an advancing line of Southerners. Just what brought about this attack is not clear. Perhaps the activities of the Northern skirmishers led the Confederates to think that the Federals were attacking hood may have believed that when the skirmishers fell back he had defeated an assault on his new position and decided to pursue the beaten enemy at any rate the southern advance precipitated a battle at the Cold farmhouse in which several confederate attacks were hurled back by the federals hood lost about a thousand men northern casualties were about three hundred after the battle Hood fell back to his original position, extending the southern line southward to Ollie's Creek. For several days there was relative calm along the lines which now ran from the railroad north of Marietta to Ollie's Creek southwest of the town. Meanwhile the rain ceased and the June sun began to dry the land several days after the battle at kolb's farm sherman decided on a change in tactics he would make a direct assault on johnston's lines it was a bold decision that offered the possibility of a great victory the southern line was thinly held and a successful attack could lead to the isolation and destruction of a large part of johnston's army the federal commander decided to strike the confederates at three points mcpherson would assault the southern end of kennesaw mountain thomas would move against a salient known as the dead angle on what is now called chetham's hill several miles to the south and schofield would push south on sandon road and attempt to cross ollie's creek june 27 was set as the date for the assault But schofield was to begin demonstrations on the twenty-sixth to draw southerners away from other portions of the line early on the twenty-seventh the federals began to probe at various points along the confederate trenches to distract the defenders at eight a m the northern artillery opened a brief but heavy fire to prepare the way for the assault a few minutes later the federal infantry moved forward mcpherson's troops advancing on both sides of burnt hickory road swept over the southern outposts and moved rapidly across the broken ground toward the main confederate trenches although their lines were disordered the blue-clad soldiers scrambled over rocks and fallen trees until they were finally halted by the heavy fire from their entrenched enemies a few reached the confederate line and were killed or captured while fighting in their opponents works Southerners on Little Kennesaw added to the Northerners' discomfort by rolling huge rocks down the mountainside at them. When the Union troops realized that their attack could not reach the Confederate lines, they broke off the engagement. Some were able to find protection in the advanced Confederate rifle pits they had overrun, and some managed to reach the positions from which they had begun the assault. A few were forced to seek shelter among the trees and large rocks on the slopes of the mountain where they remained until darkness offered a chance to return to their own lines to the south thomas fared no better two columns were directed against the southern positions one at Chedham's hill the other a short distance to the north the southerners expected no attack many of them were off duty and others were relaxing in the lines the federal artillery however alerted them to the danger and when thomas's infantry started forward the confederates were ready as soon as the dense blue columns appeared in the cleared area between the lines the confederates opened what one northerner called a terrible fire upon them men dropped rapidly but the columns continued up the long slope toward the southern position the air one federal remembered seemed filled with bullets giving one the sensation experienced when moving swiftly against a heavy rain or sleet storm as the union soldiers neared the crest of the ridge they met the full fury of the defenders fire To one Federal, it seemed as if the Confederate trenches were veritable volcanoes, vomiting forth fire and smoke, and raining leaden hail in the face of the Union boys. Most of the attackers never reached the Confederate line. Those who did were too few to overpower the defenders, and were quickly killed or captured. For a few brief seconds, two northern battle flags waved on the breastworks, but the bearers were soon shot down, and within a short time the attack had failed. As Thomas's left assaulting column struck that portion of the southern line held by the consolidated 1st and 15th Arkansas regiments, the gunfire ignited the underbrush, and many wounded Federals faced the terrifying prospect of being burned to death in one of the notable acts of the war lieutenant colonel william h martin commanding the arkansans jumped from his trenches waving a white handkerchief and shouting to the northerners to come and get the wounded men for a few minutes fighting was suspended along that short stretch of the line and some of martin's soldiers went to assist in moving their helpless enemies away from the flames when the wounded had been removed to safety the two sides resumed hostilities but here too it was clear that the attack would not be able to break johnston's lines at the dead angle some of the attacking northerners remained under the crest of the ridge within a few yards of the confederate trenches there they dug rifle-pits of their own and started to burrow under the hill hoping to fill the tunnel with gunpowder and blow up the salient however before this project had progressed very far the southerners abandoned the position and thus rendered the subterranean attack unnecessary while the attacks of mcpherson and thomas were being repulsed schofield was gaining a clear success at the extreme right of the union line On the 26th, one of his brigades crossed Ollie's Creek, north of Sandtown Road, and on the following day cleared their opponents from the area, securing a position several miles to the south, which placed the right of their line closer to the Chattahoochee than was the left of Johnston's army. From this position, the northerners could strike at the Confederate line of supply and perhaps cut Johnston off from all sources of help by breaking the railroad exact casualty figures for the battles of june twenty seven are not available however the best estimates place northern losses at about three thousand men the southerners lost at least seven hundred and fifty killed wounded or captured sherman has been criticized for ordering the frontal attack on johnston's lines but it now seems that his decision was not unwise had the assault succeeded he would have won a great victory as it was he did not continue the attacks when it was clear that they would fail and he had managed to secure a position from which he could easily pry johnston out of the Kennesaw line across the chattahoochee the success won by schofield at ollie's creek indicated the direction for the next federal movement sherman quickly decided to shift troops to his right knowing that such a move would force johnston to choose between giving up the Kennesaw line or being cut off from atlanta accordingly he began to reinforce schofield by moving mcpherson from the left to the right by the afternoon of july second federal troops were pushing southward on sandtown road against only light opposition from small confederate detachments johnston was aware of what was happening in fact he had expected such a movement since the failure of the assault on the twenty-seventh believing that it would be unwise to stretch his lines further and realizing that the troops opposing the federal advance could do no more than delay it johnston decided to abandon his Kennesaw mountain position and fall back to a previously prepared line near smyrna four miles to the south accordingly during the night of july two three the confederates filed out of their trenches around marietta and marched southward when sherman discovered that the southerners were gone he pushed forward in pursuit hoping to strike while the enemy was retreating in the late afternoon of the third the northerners reached the new confederate line the fourth was spent in skirmishing but before a serious battle could develop the federal right secured a strategic position from which it threatened to slice in between johnston's army and atlanta again the threat to his left forced johnston to retreat during the night of july four five the southerners fell back to a heavily fortified position on the north bank of the chattahoochee On the 5th, the Federals pushed forward until they reached the new southern line. Skirmishing that day convinced Sherman that the position was too strong to be carried by a headlong assault. He dispatched a cavalry force to seize Roswell, an important little manufacturing town, about 16 miles upriver from Johnston's fortifications, and allowed his men a few days' rest while he planned the next move. After carefully studying the situation, the federal commander decided to attempt a crossing near the mouth of Soap Creek, above Johnston's right flank. On July 8, he moved Schofield's Army of the Ohio into position for the crossing. In a brilliant movement, Schofield, utilizing pontoon boats and the ruins of a submerged fish dam, got over the river and drove away the small group of Southerners defending the area other troops were rushed across bridges were built trenches were dug and by nightfall the northerners held a secure bridgehead on the southern bank on the following day the federal cavalry got over the river at roswell sherman had successfully crossed the last major barrier between chattanooga and atlanta and had carried the fighting into the open country south of the chattahoochee where the terrain would favor him during the night of july 10, johnston retreated across the river and took up a position on the southern bank of peachtree creek only a few miles from atlanta the confederate commander seems to have been optimistic at this time once again he believed that he had reached a position from which he could not be driven and he expected to fight the decisive battle of the campaign along peachtree creek sherman meanwhile had decided upon his next step he would swing north and east of atlanta to cut johnston off from augusta and possible reinforcements from virginia mcpherson was to strike eastward from roswell to the georgia railroad at some point near stone mountain as this force advanced the rest of the federals would move closer to the river the line would thus become a great swinging movement, with McPherson on the far left, Schofield on the center as the pivot, and Thomas on the right along Peachtree Creek. This movement began on the 17th. The next day, McPherson reached the Georgia Railroad near Stone Mountain. End of part three.